This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, we've had the first official full shebang test at Sepang. Who's looking fast? Who's fallen over? And who's got work to do? Remember, if you want to send us a question, you can voice note us, do it on your phone and email podcast at crash.net along with your name, where you're from, keep it to 30 seconds, or you can just send us a question in on social media and we'll get it out for you on the show. The recording date is Monday, the 13th of February. My name is Harry Benjamin. Pete McLaren, Crash's MotoGP editor, is here as always alongside former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewin. And there is so much to talk about after this first proper test. We had the shakedown. Now we've had a few days at Sepang. Let's start, Pete, with looking at Ducati, shall we? Let's go sort of team by team, manufacturer by manufacturer. It looks like it's going to be um, Ducati dominance, really, doesn't it? I mean, it it couldn't have gone much better for them, could it? I mean, yeah, they've learned, I think, from last year where they made sort of a few too many changes with with a bike that was very competitive at the end of 21. It wrong-footed them for the start of 22. They've learned for this year. They have brought updates. They've brought a new engine. Um, you know, Peko and the and the factory guys, all the all the GP23 riders, all four of them, Pramac and the factory team, they've been working on that, but already they seem comfortable with it. Possibly Bastianini is still quicker on last year's bike, but Peko very happy with it. Jorge Martin, after day two of the test, was saying, I'm ready to race. You know, let's go. Uh, and that's with the new bike. Now that's, you know, you know, you contrast with what was going on, and we'll get to it later, other teams like Honda and things like that have got all these new, new bikes still or all these different bikes, all these different parts. And then you've got the Ducati guys with the new bike saying, yep, let's go. Let's start the racing. So, yeah, I mean, they, they were they were fast. They were at the you know, top end, dominated the timesheets over the single single lap. Luca Marini fastest again, as he was at Valencia. So, you know, he's going to be a threat, isn't he, in qualifying and by extension, the sprint race. Uh, this year, he did a, uh, he did a sprint race simulation, one of only two guys to do it, only him and Rins, and he was on average half a second a lap faster than Rins. Now, okay, Rins is new to the bike, everything else, but still, you know, it was the, his pace in that sprint race was basically quicker than most of the pace at the Grand Prix last October, obviously only over half the distance, but there we are. So lots of good signs for Ducati. I mean, a lot of good riders up there. Throttle connection was the one thing that Pekka Bagnaia was working on. He mentioned that a few times. He's a very smooth rider, but the last hour of the last day, big step with the electronics, feeling great. They've still got to decide on maybe fairings, but, you know, 
no big problems for them. And in the words of Alicia Spargaro, the Ducati still looks like the bike to beat. I think we knew that before we got to the test, really, didn't we? It's just been underlined and confirmed. And the aero battle is is, is massive. But I think you, you touched on the, the throttle pickup. I mean, the, the Ducati is a little harsh on the throttle pickup. When you want that smooth transition for, from coming off the throttle back onto it again, that that tiny millisecond of, of pickup is very important to get right so you don't destabilise the bike. So tiny little – I read this morning, you know, that – the Beast and Bangnaya are still looking to try and improve the bike. There's still improvements that they want to make, and that's really down to the fact they didn't get all of the test time that they needed out there because of the drizzle in the morning and the rain in the afternoon. Cut short, focused that you know the track wasn't in best of condition all of the time, so they were they're still lacking in test time. And the other issue that that seems to have come up as well it doesn't matter how well they get all of these bikes across all of the manufacturers to get them dead right. The new tire pressure sensor is giving them that little bit of, you know trepidation if you like in getting that bang on dead right you know once i get past 2.2 bar why do we measure things in bar it never seems to be right to me it seems like a wrong scale why don't i go psi i like pounds per square inch at least when you've got 36 in there you know if you're half a half a square inch uh, square inch half a psi difference you can see it much easier so 2.2 bar i think is the cutoff at the top you crash basically the tyre has ballooned at the front. It's, it's, it's wrong profile at that point. So if you're in traffic and you set your your tyre pressures up to come to their operating temperature in a different scenario to the one that you're actually in, you could find yourself with a higher pressure, particularly in the front, um, that is going to give you a massive problem and probably a crash. Um, this is something they're going to have to work out with the, with that average that the the... the is designated as being the, the sweet spot between um, 1.8 bar, I think it is, is the minimum that they're allowed, 2.2 bar, though, when you get up to that high. So if it's a 1.8 bar starting position, you've got a, so much of that race has got to be above that, on it or above it. So you can start a little bit lower than that, allow for temperature rising during the course of the race. But if you're wrong, you're going to get chucked out of the race. This is, a, for me, it's the critical article for the rest of this year. To get that right is going to win or lose races in in some respects and also what you alluded to with regards to the to, to the single lap times pete was uh, qualifying is going to be everything this year if you can't qualify and we're, and we're going to be talking about the yamaha in a moment as soon as we got to these quick times where you needed to stick them in yamaha was nowhere there and i think that is going to be a major issue this year you can't afford to be on the third row fourth row you've got to be on the front two rows minimum really to make this work everybody is so close you know the top riders were all within a second uh, at sepang with all those differences that are coming to fore now, I mean, the aero, I mean, the day that the manufacturers allowed aero to get involved in this, they must be ruining that at the moment. Everybody has Formula One uh, background, if you like, to, to be able to work on. Aprilia are really ahead of the game here as well, doing a great job from Noale. The, the, the Noale factory are working really well on this and, and challenging Ducati. But Yamaha have no inherent aero dynamicist or otherwise within the factory. So Yamaha are a real disadvantage over what's going on aerodynamically. You know, you've got Ferrari backing up Ducati and, and, and Noale factory of, of Aprilia, as far as I'm aware. And everyone else, Red Bull, obviously, are backing up the, the you know, the, the KTMs. You've got a situation where every factory has got some, you know, Honda perhaps have, have got their own um, aero people as well. But it's Yamaha that doesn't have. So with this ground effects that we're getting now, if you like, on the front wheel as well, you see the thing on the Aprilia, it's absolutely fantastic to watch what's going on as far as the the overall ground effect side of things. When these bikes are lent over now, we are working on aero to squidge the tyres into the deck. 
it's going to be a very interesting year from a, from that side of things, but still not enough time to test it, seriously. Yeah, they're actually uh, on the tyre pressure, Keith, it's a, it's a good point. There were some riders, well, Alex Marquez actually said, look, I don't think we should have it on the front. He thinks it's just it's just going to be too difficult to do. And, and he said, exactly your point, you're going to finish the race, have the guys on the podium, well, you might get pulled off it again if it turns out that your average was was too low. So, and he actually he agreed with it on the rear on the rear tire, but he said on the front tire it's just too hard to measure. And he said, "What can you do? They will get uh, some sort of system on the dashboard to tell them their pressure, as they do now if it goes too high to sort of warn them. So they'll have an idea in the race of where their pressure is." But he said, "If you're leading, what what are you going to do? Oh, my pressure's too low. I need to follow someone. Do you wave someone by and?" tucking behind them so it, it's a it, it is something that all the riders it seems are quite concerned about and apparently you know they've already met and talked about it now we've got three races where you know the rule is not going to be enforced so so there'll be three the first three rounds there won't be any of this and then it's up to all of the teams and everyone else to come up with a, with a system of how many laps will you have to be under the pressures and all this kind of thing so yeah it, it's going to be interesting to see in those first three rounds what happens they're not unintelligent people. We're talking about top end here on everything that, that's going on at, at MotoGP. Uh, they manage it pretty well in Moto2. I have no doubt that they will get around the situation. But you're right. It is, it is a concern for the riders because they're not interested in any of this. They just want a motorbike that performs. They don't want to be in a situation where they've got to manage a, a, a tyre's pressure while they're riding. If you're out front, you're right. It's going to be a lower pressure because you've got nothing in front of you that's giving you hot air off the bikes in front. If you're in a pack fighting, which I think we're going to see quite a lot of this year, you know, that temperature can go off the scale. You know, it can be all of a sudden you've got no grip at the front. As I say, it completely alters the, the you know, you tip it into a turn, the tyre squishes down, gives you a nice contact patch. If you if it's ballooned, um, down you go. And potentially taking out anyone that's around you. So it's, it's, it's a compounded effect. So you're going to have to work hard on this with Michelin, uh, with the organisers, obviously, with the, with the you know, Erta and the, and the technical teams to make sure it, it, it doesn't get to the point where it becomes dangerous. Otherwise... <laughs> Otherwise, as Mark Marcus has said, what's the point of having a, a tyre pressure in the front? You might as well. You've still got to have a minimum because there is a safety minimum. You know, we've heard this in car racing before. I'll, I'll get you on the car racing subject, Harry. I always do. You know, in car racing, you've got a situation where, you know, they want to run as minimum as they can in some circumstances. Well, then it becomes dangerous. Then the tyre becomes, you know, deformed on, on the rim and so on and so forth. And you, you can have all sorts of other problems. So Michelin won't want to be going below a certain certain point. It's like you say, Pete, it's a question of how many laps during the race do you have to be above a certain amount um, to to not get pulled off the podium if you've been lucky enough to be on there. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one, isn't it? The actual values are not changing, as you say, that you know, the 1.8 at the back, 1.9 at the front, whatever it is. But those aren't changing. It's just how they're going to measure it, isn't it? How they're going to enforce it. That That's what's changed. But that's going to make them be more careful and make them stay higher on the pressure side because of the risk of getting disqualified if you drop below. But uh, uh, coming back to the Ducatis, I guess one thing we should mention is Luca Marini. Yes, he's on Peco Bagnaia's, let's say, bike from last year. But of course, that wasn't the bike that Luca Marini was on last year. He was on a GP22, but he had a different engine. And it seems like sort of he pretty strongly hinted that, uh, yeah, he can feel this bike is is better. You know, he had the, let's say, full 22 engine. We spoke about it at the beginning of last season. The factory guys, Jack and, Jack Miller and Francesco Bagnaia went back to sort of this hybrid. They used bits of the, en- the the years before as engine, so 21 engine, because it wasn't, again, the throttle connection and power delivery that Keith was talking about. They felt it was better going back a bit 
Whereas the other guys, Zarco, uh, Jorge Martin and Marini, they were left on the more aggressive engine, if you like. And uh, so the bike, although Marini's staying, in theory, on the 22 bike, he had a 22 bike last year, it's not actually the same. He has got this slightly different engine. And I think that's all helping with these sort of lap times he's taking. No new parts, you know, he's just going out there and riding, which again, is Keith's invention. Keep it nice and simple. You know, let the factory guys work through all the other stuff uh, and you get it later. Okay, but we saw Iner Bastianini can make that work. Can I, I'm sorry to dart and backwards and forwards as we are at the moment, because this is what a testing type um, program is all about, isn't it? But tyres and aero linked as well, if I might just get back to that boring old subject of the black round things that are stuck on there as well, because the new aero, we do not know yet definitively how that is going to affect tyre pressures. If you've got aero that are squidging tyres into the ground and so on and so forth, and the teams are working their way through this scenario as well, it will depend on what aero they depend in the end that they go with during the course of the season. So those first few meetings where this is not set in stone as far as the, the, the rule is concerned is critical for anybody running this new stuff. When you get to race distance, they didn't, as I said right at the beginning, they didn't have enough time in Sepang for going through all these kind of scenarios that they needed to go through. So racing is going to be testing in the first few rounds. Somewhere like Portimao, is that going to show us anything particularly? I'm not too sure because that is just the, that's the kind of balls out racetrack that riders like and probably... Yeah, they're not going to be worried too much about um, testing these bits and bobs, or maybe they will. It's going to be a great year. I can't. <laughs> I've been, I tell you what, I've never watched a test from so far away with so much interest in my life. I've been reading everything. My wife is going bonkers around here because all I've done is look at bloody computer screens and my phone and all the rest of it. And I moan at everybody else about doing that in the house. Yeah, it's a shame <laughs> they couldn't televise it. Um, oh, it? yeah, yeah, you're so right. I mean, I. It is very difficult to televise a test because they're all in black bikes. You can never really see what they're going. And, you know, Pete was there, but, you know, everybody's out there. But you know, journos tend to plagiarise each other a little bit during the course of a test because you can't cover the ground. You've got to read what someone else is writing and then you go and look and then you make it up for yourself. And if you're a television crew, you're only going to have two or three cameras that are on site in pit lane. And you can bet your bottom dollar they'll be in the wrong place when you when you yeah. when you need to look at something. And it it's really cruel for a television team to be out at a test. And you've to be honest, you've got to be a hardened enthusiast to have your monitor like us, to be have your monitor on all day long because there is hours of stuff that isn't very interesting. Yeah. Especially <laughs> well, if I'm commentating. Yeah, exactly. Well they they're what exactly? the F1. What exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm just, I'm just agreeing with you, Keith, uh, for a change. Um, they do it in F1, though, don't they? but then it's a bit different, I think. Yeah, um, they're boring all of the time. You lot are used to it. I'm not going to I'm not going to rise to it. I'm not going to rise to it. Uh, I'm, I'm just firing that one in there. Fishing. Right. Let's let's get back on track, shall we? Ducati clearly, uh, as was expected, are fast. They were fast across all three days. Three different riders: Martin uh, Bezecchi and Marini. I thought it was actually speaking on, on what you've just talked about, especially with Bezecchi and Marini. Certainly, they they've been um, catching a lot of eyes. I think Bezecchi also saying though, despite the bikes obviously all being quite competitive amongst Ducati themselves, with with. Aprilia also looking fast too. It's actually, he thinks the real difference is actually it's going to be the riders that you've got to watch out for, not the difference in bikes. And you have got quite a lot of different attitudes, quite a lot of different, you know, cerebral um, type riders as well. Miguel Oliveira still carry, carry on about the, the likes of him when we speak, speak to him about um, on the Aprilia and so on. And we're going to have quite a lot going on here. Jorge Martin, he's got a great chunk out of his hand. You know, he, he was riding that last day with 
and that hurts believe me when when you've got that bit of your palm of your hand missing um i i'm really really looking forward to the first round of Paul Mal. i mean it's i think that we've not even scratched the surface of where these bikes are headed this year yet with the amount of technical stuff that have, has, has come to the fore you know who's going to get lucky with the whole package you know ducati came into this season with a massive advantage and they've continued that at the moment Aprilia, though, you've got to watch for that factory, the tiny little Noale factory. It's looking good from the end of last year, and they reckon they've got another motor on the bench as well that might give a little bit more performance. I mean, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting. Well, you've gone there, Keith. So so let's pick up uh, with Aprilia next, shall we, uh, Pete? They, they, you know, Keith just said it there, but they seem to have found some, some small improvements, especially after a, a hell of a year that they had last year. But it still seems like it's not quite enough at this current stage to, to catch Ducati. Alasia Spargo seems to be quite frustrated, especially on the final day as well. But Maverick Vinales is certainly putting in fast lap times as well, as we've already spoken about Miguel Oliveira too. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it sounded like they've made lots of small improvements. So every little area, they've done a lot. Again, you've mentioned Aero with the Prettier. They've done, you know, loads of little tweaks to their Aero. They, they, they've kept the ball rolling on that. You know, they are sort of leading the way, aren't they? If you said a few years ago, everyone will be copying a Prettier, you know, you'd have some, some raised eyebrows, wouldn't you? But now, you know. It's a great um, point, Pete, because it's the first time I've ever known Ducati copy someone else when it comes to stuff like that. And, and they're copying a Prettier. They all laughed. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, it does just show, you know, it shows that, you know, you can work through the whole concession system. Let's say you can start at the back of the grid and you can, you know, end up at the front. So, uh, you know, there is hope because it always used to be that, oh, you'll, you'll never beat the established guys. You know, they have all this experience, but a pretty, you know, they've come in and, it didn't, you know, we had a lot of question marks. This is their first year without concessions, but good start from them. We won't, won't know until they go racing, of course. But uh, yeah, just standing at the front of the pits, you know, seeing them taking the wing off, unscrewing the wing and putting on another one with three veins on it, you know, and all this kind of thing. As Keith says, it's just pot luck if you walk by at the right time, really. That, that's all it is. Um, because the, you can't really, you know, there's no commentary, obviously. There's no, you, you've got uh, CCTV and you've got the window from the media room, but that's all you've got to really go off. And then the feedback of anyone else who's just been out and come in and said, oh, have you seen what they're running? But, uh, you know, so you, it's only really pot luck that you spot all the things that they're trying to, that they're testing or anything else. The mechanics standing around the front of the bike is always a good clue that there's something they're trying to hide. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, they're pretty guys in fairness. They're pretty open. They're garage, you know, they, they, you know, they, they're like, well, here it is, you know, take a look if you want, you know, they're, they're not afraid of anyone, I think. And uh, yeah, getting back to the bike. Yeah. Again, they, they've sort of done the Ducati thing. They've made it better without going radical and sort of taking a step back. And I think that's the key thing. They built on the strengths of last year's bike. Aleish was kind of, well, yeah, it's good, but is it going to be enough? You know, I think, it, again, it's that psychology of keep pushing the factory perhaps until the first round, isn't it? You know, never say, oh, yeah, it's fine, guys. You know, you know, take the next few weeks off. Um, <laughs> um, so he's, yeah, Maverick was more pleased. He felt the bike was more towards his natural style. You know, it's taken Maverick a while to get, you know, used to the sort of, you know, the strengths of his riding style and everything else. And he thought the bike did go more. I'd say he was more happier with the changes than Aleish. Let's put it that way. But, um, you know, top speeds, they were quick. They were as quick as, I think, Banyaya. Um, and, yeah, you know, I, I think they've they, they've they've set out the foundation for another strong season. I put it that way. Problem you have at Aprilia is Maverick Vinales. He wins the testing award every single year. He's always fast in testing. Early on in the season, you think, oh, Maverick is going to be his year question is is when we get to racing with Maverick Vinales you know it's when he's 
hassled on the racetrack. And I think Aprilia need two top runners at the front pushing. Um, Maverick's always great in testing. You know, he's always leading, the, you know, he's on the top three generally during the, over the years. Um, and again, this year, he's looking really like a lot of promise. But would you put any money on him? Maybe if it was long odds. I'm going to get you well, both, well, and including me. We're going to do our predictions before the season starts, so you're going to have to. <laughs> oh, we will this year. Yeah, we should, should we? Because Keith insists he, he's won last year, didn't he? And we didn't record it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Pete. Sorry, you were but about no, to I was pick just up say, specifically talking about Maverick. He was saying it's what he likes about the changes for the 23 bikes. So he, he can control the exit of the corner, the spin. He said the bike was spinning quite a lot on the way out of the corners last year. That's the, the area where he felt it, it's made a step with his 23 bike. And as he says, it sounds like they're going to have more from the engine coming at Portimao. So, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, you know, yeah, all looking, I'd say all looking good for Aprilia. And as you said, they've got the satellite team in there as well. Uh, Oliveira was very quick, I think, on the second day, wasn't he? He was, yeah, second fastest. Um, so, he's you know, he's a thinker. Oliveira Oliver is going to be a real asset in my view to a brilliant. You, you've got, you're going to put some money, you, you, you won't put money down on Matt, but you'll put money down on Miguel, won't you, for this year, I reckon. Well, I think he's got he's got headroom. I think it's it's one of those situations where he's got potential to be better than what we're thinking he might be. And I, and I think there are some riders where, you know, you, you've, you think to yourself, yeah, they're at the top of their game. Is there any more to come? You know, keeping with the brilliant, I mean, Alicia Spargro, would you have Elisha's winning a championship. I think he had his opportunity last year. I'm not sure he's going to get another one this year. I would, I would, this is, this is not controversial and I'm going to get slapped for it, but that's fine. Write in please, crash.net, um, <laughs> is that I think Maverick Vinales technically is a faster rider than Elisha Spargro, but yet it's Elisha Spargro that always comes up with the goods because he never gives up. He's a tough rider. It's a fast rider, obviously, but I think Maverick Vinales, Maverick Vinales has, has the quality as a rider to be faster than than Aleish, but he never he, of late he never seems to be able to put that together. Will it be a, a year this year where he can? If the bike suits him, he's the kind of guy that if he's he's got the kind of care in the team now. They've shown that they love him and he needs a bit of that hugging. You know, if he's got a bike that's performing in the way that he wants it to as well, then maybe this is Maverick's year to come back, or maybe again. I'm I'm bigging him up at the beginning of the year only for him to sort of fall backwards as the year moves on we'll see I still remember it like it was yesterday that we spent the entirety of I think 2021 season break talking about you know Maverick Vinales's head and mind space and you know he had falling out with Yamahas it's, it's so interesting to see how far you know that he's come just in that short space of time and, and now clearly it looks like he sort of made the right move in the end because if we go to Yamaha well the big talk of course was are they going to sort this engine out can they give Fabio more top speed Pete they seem to be a little bit coy but they seem like they found a little bit more but they're still worried about qualifying pace. They had some sort of tire disaster on the final day, by the sounds of things. Fabio wasn't happy about that. Yeah, it was sort of another one of these unexpected issues. It was all looking pretty good, actually, up until the last day. On day two, Quattro set a really good top speed. And, and so uh, day two was a bit, because Keith mentioned the weather, day two was the worst for the weather. So they didn't. They got the least amount of dry time then. But still, he set, uh, you know, he was only about less than 2k i think off the top ducati for top speed um they do they do seem to have found something with the top speed um and with used tires he was happy with his pace we won't know until they go racing of course because until you get the bike slipstream and everything else you have a good top speed but how quickly do you get there for example you know all those kind of things so top, 
Top speed, Pete, if I can interrupt very slightly there. I, I, obviously, I wasn't there. So, But if the track was in certain condition and the Yamaha was getting off the corner that little bit better, then in a comparison, he might have just been pulling that extra one or two K down the straight anyway. If the conditions were slightly iffy, you know, how you get out onto a, out of a corner onto the straight makes a massive difference by the end of it, obviously, because you're pulling the, same, pulling the extra all the way down the straight. So maybe day two wasn't indicative of what the others were capable of and, and, and Yamaha were hooking up a little better. Just just a, a KH theory to throw in there. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, I mean in, in fairness, he came within 1K of that on the next day. And, and you know, so it wasn't, that wasn't, um, let's say most of the guys did their best speeds on the last day. That was when we saw the, the three, the Ducati and the, the Aprilia. They were all sort of tied at the top, 337, I think it was, and a half, which is pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, what was Fabio? 334 on the last day. So within a couple of K, I mean, again, until you see them actually racing each other, you're not sure, but it does look like they've made progress, which is what Cal's been saying, isn't it? He's been saying, right, since he's been testing this engine, it is quicker. Um, but we're not going to know exactly how much until they until they actually race. But yeah, a bit of a tick there, I think. They seem to be happy. They had two different um, engine specs. Uh, I think it was day two. I, I actually asked Fabio, you know, how many engines have you got? Because when they'd speak, they'd say the 2023 engine, which sort of made you assume that there was one. And then how many have you got? And and he sort of, uh, and he smiles and everything else. And, and he said, no, we've got two, you know, and we've had two. He's, I think they've had two different specs at, at the previous tests as well, not just at Sepang. So the big thing for them was to choose one of them. And I think they've done that now. And so when they're in Portimao, they'll have one 2023 engine all decided. And they, they've still got other stuff to work on. I think the aerodynamics, there was a couple of different fairings. There was this, the very big sort of normal wing sort of shape, you, you might say, and sort of the boxy one as well. The lower parts, Keith was saying, this ground effect stuff. Do you go with the sort of the, 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 the tugboat site style profile, if you like, that squashes the air? Or do you go with the ducks that channel the air? You know, those are the two ways people seem to be the two options. For example, at Ducati, Bagnaia seems to like the ducked one, you know, a bit more like last year. But I think Bastianini's leaning a bit more towards the other one. So a lot of people still have the aero stuff to finish. And, um, you know, they're no exception at Yamaha. But, uh, but yeah, then they, then they have this nasty surprise with, uh, you, you know, they go for a qualifying lap and, and they're 19th and 20th on the timesheets, which imagine that in a race weekend, total disaster. Now, uh, Morbidelli, he gave a bit more, bit more of a clue because it wasn't just the soft tyres. It's when they go soft tyres and light fuel together. If they just put new tyres on, they're fine. They can make an improvement with, with, let's say, decent amounts of fuel in the bike. It's when they go light on the fuel as well. So probably some sort of weight balance thing or something. Who knows? But yeah. how long? How long have Yamaha had this problem? You can go back as far as you like with Yamaha, where the bike, the transition from having a full fuel load at the start of a race to a lighter load at the end of a race, it has made such a difference in balance. It's a tiny difference, but the riders notice it so much, and it, it does make a difference overall. But if you're going to qualify. If, if your qualifying ends up being like it did in testing um, on the third day, you are at sea because there's no way you're coming through from there. Compound that with what we've been talking about, the tyre pressure thing. You're coming through a group of people. You're pushing the bike even harder. You're coming through red-hot motorbikes somewhere like Sepang. You're going to be off the scale tyre pressure-wise. Um, so it's a proper problem for Yamaha at the moment to try and work that one out. And, and to put a number to it, Keith, you know, um, of what you're saying, I mean, Quattro said – basically winning in MotoGP now, 80% qualify. That was the figure he said. So, you know, there you go. And um, of course, qualifying will now be count for two races, won't it? Your, your grid position, it's for the sprint race and for the Sunday race. So you have one bad qualifying. You've got to deal with that for two races. So, 
yeah, you know, not something that you want to have this year ever. And also, backing up Keith's point, Quattararo said that. He said, look, when I, 2019, my first season, I think he had six pole positions in MotoGP. Last year, he had one. You know, it's been going sort of gradually down downwards. Um, if you divide it up with the races, obviously 2020, there was less races. But still, if you divide poles between numbers of races, it's gone steadily downwards for him. So it's, you know, it's something that, that as Keith says, it's, this is not something that's happened overnight, but certainly it was just, it stood out at the test because there was everything else looked so good until that moment. And then it was kind of like, what's happening here? I think everybody else has got better at qualifying as well. I think that that's the, the, the issue is the fact that, you know, Ducati and the like have all got better at, at qualifying. Um, and that is, but I wouldn't want to be Yamaha, not if they're qualifying way back down there. There's going to be some very stern faces coming away from this test at the minute. Um, but Portimao, great racetrack, might just suit the Yamaha. We're going to find out. Mm. The the one other thing related to, let's say, fuel and things like that and sprint races, as we've been saying, is it sounds like teams will have a sprint race fuel tank. So they'll have a small fuel tank. It'll look the same on the outside, but the fuel will be squashed into the bit that they really, where they where it's really optimised. It seems some teams, I think it was Aprilia, uh, they already have it for qualifying. I think they put five kilograms worth of fuel in, enough to do a couple of laps, and it holds that fuel right in the most optimum place on the bike. It sounds like they'll have a qualifying tank, a sprint race tank, that'll probably be a ha- well, obviously a half tank, half the distance. Again, cramming the fuel right where you want it, and then they'll have the full tank for the Sunday race. So that's another new thing that they're going to have for the, for the sprint they race. They always find that little tiny area, don't they? They always find that little tiny area, you know, right down to the thickness of the pipes the fuel's going through. Because <laughs> it redistributes wherever they want to do it. I seem to remember back in NASCAR or something, they had a certain size fuel tank, so they put dirty, great, big, thick pipes running around to, <laughs> so they could hold more fuel somewhere else. <laughs> All of these guys, they always find a way around the rules. I love it. I mean, I just and, – and you're right. I mean, if you were Danny Aldridge – back in the technical department, you'd say, no, you've got to run a t- the same tank throughout the weekend you know, and alleviate that extra cost and that extra development potential in certain areas. You just can't keep up with these guys. They're all so busy trying to find a little gap in the rule book. Brilliant. Final thing on Yamaha, um, because it's easy to forget that it's actually a two-rider team. Uh, and you mentioned his name briefly, Pete Morbidelli, uh, about the, the qualifying uh, runs on the tyre. But how was his test? You know, what was he coming out with? Because it's a, it's a big old year for him. It is, yeah. I, I think he, he's, he's trying to make himself more aggressive, isn't he? It's quite funny. I, I asked him something about it, whether the top speed was helping with his riding style. And he said, my Instagram bio, I've even used to, because Smooth Rider was his thing. He said, I've even taken Smooth off my Instagram bio. Now, I, I hadn't noticed that, but there we are. You know, he says, I, you know, I'm riding aggressive now. You know, he's going the Fabio way. You know, that's the way that you need to ride the bike. And that's what he's trying to do. So, again, like Fabio, he, he was happy up until the qualifying run. And, um, yeah, you know. Very, inter- very interesting you say that because... It's my belief from from my experience that to make yourself more aggressive is probably the toughest thing to do. It's not there. It's like Maverick Vignali is saying we need him to be more aggressive in traffic. You know, he's fast when he's on his own and he's got his own test procedures and stuff like that. But sometimes when he's getting an elbow in his face and a few people rubbing a rubber, rubbing the tyre on his leg, you know, it's not easy for him. The same perhaps was at some stage in his career with Lorenzo, if you like. It's uh, they like that smooth. And Morbidelli is a is a guy that struggled after his injury. You know that I, I 
Can you manufacture aggression? I don't think you can. I personally don't. It's either in your makeup, your DNA, or it's not. You know, Mark Marquez, my God, you wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley if he was in a bad mood and he wanted to fight with you. He'd be at your throat. But Were, were yeah. you aggressive? No, not especially, I don't think. No. Off track, certainly, but not on. Well, I, see, I, still wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to meet you in a dark alley, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> it's, it's, well, <laughs> no accounting for taste. Um, <laughs> but it is kind of, um, I, I don't know, I, you'd have to ask other people whether they thought I was aggressive. I suppose, yes, I could have been. You know, I, I didn't mind a bit of elbowing and pushing and shoving. And, but that was back in that day when it mm. kind of was a different style of riding altogether, you know. Um, I think nowadays it is definitely a more it's a more of a thinker's sport. But you've got that, like I say, the DNA. Mark Marquez, you ruffle his feathers, he's coming straight back at you. It is a fight. Alicia Spargo, he will ever go back at you every time. And it always used to be said, you know, like you might have a guy that's faster on a faster bike than you, but if you snap straight back at him when he makes a pass on you and mess him up on his next lap and you just keep doing it, you know, they don't get a chance to get away from you because you're aggressive about it. I, can you make Morbidelli aggressive? Well, we're going to find out. He might have taken it off his bio, but whether he's um, going to enforce it on racetrack, that's all going to be for us to commentate on this year. I mean, if I guess looking at it as a positive, if you take away the position, he's a fraction behind Quattararo. Now, you know, so... Testing. Yeah. Testing, testing is always, you know, you're out on your own, you're running your own lines, you're thinking, you're only focused on yourself and your, on the track. It's a whole new ball game when you've got, you know, 24, 23 other riders running around, you know, pushing and shoving and, and the track changes every single lap, you know, where you can be on it because of other people on it, you know, da, 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 da. Someone trying to rush up the inside. If you've got a motorbike, it's a bit slower. You might be better on the brakes, but someone's just passed you down into the turn and taken all your aero off as well. That's the other thing. With all this aero flying about nowadays, everything's all a bit destabilized. Even if the bike's in a straight line, your body's not, your helmet's moving about. Yeah, it's not quite as simple as people might think when they're looking in on it. And all of that destabilizes how you are. Confidence is 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 the big plus. You've got to have confidence in your bike all the way. Um, and I think that's where we're seeing some of the Ducati riders have got a lot of confidence. I think that Aprilia has got room for that. I think Alesha is going to come out the out the box bloody quick this year. Whether he can keep that momentum going through the year, we're going to find out as everyone else catches up. And I mean, that's the other thing. It's an evolution, isn't it? From the first round in Portimao, we're going to evolve. We're going to evolve into this sprint race and all the technicalities that are going to get you fast or slow in that. And then we've got the big race on the Sunday. The workload for the for the, for the the techs this year is massive because especially at the beginning of the year, as they're working their way through these final bits and pieces, you know, just the tyre pressure thing, you know, that's going to take three people to manage on its own and so on and so forth as we move through it. It's going to be a really, really, really interesting tough year. Do I keep saying that? Yeah, you do. Uh, <laughs> but it is. But you're right. It, yeah, the excitement is actually uh, palpable, really, ahead of the, the new season. We've still got a few more teams to have a look at, uh, one of which is KTM and new boy Jack Miller on the bike uh but pete miller i mean he had a bit of a he had a bit of a fall and seems to be uh coming out saying uh, ktm's just struggling a little bit mid corner wise um but obviously brand new bike for him it's going to take him a little bit of time to get up to speed isn't it that's right yeah and when he says that you're right about the mid corner part he, he also means relative to the other ktm riders as well right um yeah not just let's say other riders non-ktms um yes i think it's you know when when, when 
during the preseason, let's say the launch before this test, you, you know, Jack was speaking about he's got his crew chief coming over and he's really pleased about that. They've got some ex Ducati guys at KTM, although they, they don't like you mentioning it. They like to point out that, you know, riders coming with their crew chief. There's nothing unusual about that, but it's not only the crew chief. There are other people there as well, ex Ducati. Um, and I think what Jack was hoping was that, that, let's say, some of the things that worked on the Ducati for solving problems or the processes that you might go to th- go through the bike setup would also work on the KTM. Now, you know, from what he was saying after this test, of course, they lost track time, you know, the weather, everything else. But I think it's it's not going to be that simple, is it? The KTM is a unique bike. It's got a different frame, this tubeless steel frame, the only one with WP suspension, all this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, so it's, it, it's just harder, isn't it? You haven't got the Olin's guy, that will, you know, and all that knowledge of all the other bikes on the grid where they can go, look, this is a setting that we think is going to work because it's been working on other bikes. Let's face it, is what they're, they're saying, uh, let's say, in not as many words, but that's what they mean. They've got all that information. WP, they've only got that team. You know, we're speaking about Yamaha and only, only having two bikes. It's a bit like that with the suspension at KTM as well, isn't it? And the, all that kind of stuff. And mid-corner, that's what, you know... It, but again, Keith mentioned aero. That's now coming into the mid corner as well. That's in with the turning. A lot of aero parts on the KTM. Nothing radical, I would say. Obviously, this is uh, they've got this Red Bull partnership that, that Keith also, also mentioned earlier. You know, these parts are starting to come on stream now. I would say, looking at them, it wasn't. You know, you didn't. We didn't quite know what they were going to bring out. Were they going to come out with something completely, you know, never before seen? That's come out of the the Red Bull uh, advanced technology, isn't it? I think they're called. Um, in fact, what it looked like is that they'd taken the ideas that KTM have had before, and this makes sense really, doesn't it? And they'd refined them. You know, they kind of tweaked them a little bit. So the gap between the airbox and the front of the bike was a bit longer. And, you know, it was the detailing that was really different. There wasn't a big, wow, look at that. You know, there's a there's another wing there or something like that. So, I mean, maybe that will come in future. But, yeah, it, it was more like the, the details and things like that. But they've still got aero, aero work to do. Now, one of the bikes sounds different. That's just the other thing for the KTM. If any fans, you know, this year... There is a, a noticeable difference in the sound of one of the engines. Now, whether that will be the engine they choose to race with, who knows? But uh, yeah, they've said so. They've definitely got different engine specs or configurations that they're trying as well. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, you look at the timesheets; it, it's not doesn't make pretty reading, does it? Really? I mean, it, there's there's room to make up there, and um, a lot a lot to do. I would say, with all their effort and all our expectation, I think. KTM at the moment have underperformed when it came to this test hugely, and I think that that's you know they've they've really got to pick it up now. And uh, it's is it too late? That's the question. You know, decisions are going to have to be made fairly soon for the homologated bike that's going to be used throughout the year. Uh, Jack Miller will be disappointed that the, the his knowledge doesn't transpose across from Ducati to to KTM. Um, I don't quite know where KTM are going to end up here. This is going to be a difficult year for them again, I think. You know, last year was obviously difficult, but I think, you know, looking at those times, looking at those sheets, unless I'm missing something completely from six and a half thousand miles away, um, it, it kind of doesn't, as you say, read very well. Certainly lap time-wise, wasn't it? I think I think Chris Pike has done he's done all the stats and the averages for everybody, which saves us a lot of work because, as I say, they, normally you'd look at race simulations, but because of that rain on day two, they didn't have time. They were still doing the short runs with new parts, and that makes it difficult to really compare. But he's done all the averaging and everything else. And I think, you know, Brad Binder is the top KTM in about 17th, uh, you know, for average lap time over the three days. And, and the others are below him, I think, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that says it all. Now... Brad Binder was saying, look, we're working through loads of parts. You know, we've narrowed it down. 
And so that's what he'll be hoping is that they've now narrowed it down. They can put a package together that they come out with in Portimao. He's looking for that corner exit traction, a bit like what Vinales has found, it seems, with this new Aprilia. Sounds like that's where they're looking to gain. Is At the moment, they feel they're losing coming out of the corners. Jack Miller also said he noticed it at Valencia on the KTM, that it, coming out of the corners, it wasn't you know the same as the Ducati. It was almost, he felt it was a bit sort of subdued, almost overtamed by the electronics. So that's one area that they're looking for. But yeah, I mean, they certainly didn't, let's say, find the solutions to that in Sepang, tick the box. I think it's, it is narrowing down the parts and then putting it together. I, I suppose if we, we talk about Paul, obviously coming back to the KTM, he, he was pretty happy. I mean, uh, you know, he, he said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm down the order on the lap time, but if you look at my race pace, it's a bit better and things like that. It's confusing at Sepang because the soft tire is the race tire. You know, everybody raced with the soft t- soft rear tire uh, the Grand Prix last year. So it, it's a sort of unusual one in that not only do you use the soft tire for a flying lap, but actually that's the one that you would do the race on. So when you put the medium, you lose a lot of time and you you can end up looking looking pretty bad. And that's the one thing you can't see from the timesheets. We don't get the information on what tire anyone was using as we do during the Grand Prix, where we can see, can't we, on the on the readouts and all the all the paperwork that Keith likes to go through, you actually get told, this is not only which tire, you know, whether it's soft, medium, or hard, but if it's new or not. Well, you don't get any of that at a test. So, again, that's that's the unknown there. But um, yeah, so the, you know, Paul. But Paul, let's face it, he's had a bit of a disastrous year on the Honda, and he did say, "Look, remember, I was really quick here last year, so I'm keeping my feet on the ground because it can all change when you go racing," as he said earlier. Very, very true. Well, a trouble then maybe for KTM and work to do for them. Uh, finally, last but not least, uh, our final team, Mark Marquez Racing. Sorry, Honda. Um, and, uh, well, it was certainly Mark Marquez who was uh, making the most amount of noise. Uh, Pete, wasn't he? Not at the level of the top five, he believes. He was 10th fastest on the final day. Uh, but he was working his way through the bikes until he got down to one. That's right. Yeah, four of them on his side of the pits. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, it was packed with people. If you just, if 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 lap time was proportional to the number of, of engineers in your garage, <laughs> they'd have been leading the test. Uh, Joan Mir actually said, uh, you know, what, he was asked, what, what's the differences, and he went, well, there's a lot more people when I come in the pit box than, than when I was at Suzuki. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, there's certainly a lot of people that headed, of course, by Ken Kawachi now, the the ex Suzuki technical director. So he was over there, sound, but we've spoke about it to me on the previous podcast you can't instantly change a motorbike i mean this is going to be a long-term thing the one thing that he could do instantly is the way they organized the test you know the way they work through things and mark was quite complimentary of how the the structure of the test let's say i happened to be stood outside when um you know santi hernandez suddenly came out came from the back of the garage the bit you can't see let's say uh, with a load of printouts and it was obviously a, re- a rejig of the schedule now, whether that's what, what Ken Kwachi used to have on that clipboard at Suzuki, I don't know. But anyway, he was frantically giving them out to the team members and they'd obviously had a change of plan for the remaining hours of the test, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, the organisation side, Mark liked. He said, to be honest, the best part of it was his physical condition. And, and I think that says it all. You know, that was the biggest positive for him. In terms of the bikes, yeah, he started with four. One of them was last year, so you can cross that off the list. And he and he did. Another one was a really kind of radical one. He crossed that off the list after day two. So he's then left with two bikes that were pretty similar to Valencia. And he narrowed that down to one. But as he said, look, this is not going to be the bike that wins the world championship. You know, this one bike, this is kind of just the bike that he felt was the best of the package he had available. 
and he even did some laps without any wings on the bike, um, which which caused the stir. And I mean, I th- that probably tells you how, just how much you know they they're lacking maybe fundamental knowledge of what the wings do to actually say, look, Mark, can you go out? And, I think he did two laps, and they didn't change the setup, so it was completely alien <laughs> because the bike was set up for wings, but they needed the data. They are looking for a baseline. They still haven't found a default baseline. They're looking to see where their baseline is, you know, with or without the arrow on it as well. So. Um, Honda have got a huge amount of work to do. I mean, it's interesting that they're investing all their eggs in one Mark Marquez basket again this year, it would seem, by the, the fact that he got so much stuff to test through. Um, that is the, the team that to watch, purely and simply because I don't think they're going to improve the bike that much, to be frank with you, but it's going to be Mark Marquez who makes the difference, as has always been the case. Um, so we'll wait and see with Honda. But I, I'm... I, you can never rule them out because it comes back down to what we were talking about earlier. In his DNA is an absolute scrapper. And he is going to be there or thereabouts at some stage. And he's going to pull something a bit special out of the bag because he can, because he is Mark Marcus. I'm going to call it a bold prediction on the 13th of February that Mark Marquez will switch to Ducati in 2024. I don't know how, I don't know how, where or when or why, but that I'm going to say right now that he, Honda aren't going to do it for him this year. Yeah, he may well be the best performer, but it's not going to win in the championship. Haven't Johnson we already said that, Harry? Have we said that? I, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone's been as bold. Haven't, haven't we already said that? In that I said last time out that Alex Marquez is just clearing the way for Marquez. Yeah, yeah, but you didn't put your neck on the line and say when it was going to happen. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. I'm saying 24 Marquez to Ducati. Don't know how it worked, but that happen. because <laughs> yeah, Alex Marquez I, I, has come out and been saying like he's feeling like a reborn rider on this Ducati after the test. Well, Alex can ride a motorbike. There is no doubt about it. But yeah. he's got on with that Ducati pretty damn well. So mm. uh, I mean, he's another one who's been. Not a revelation because I think a few people expected it of him, but it, it's 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 the first time I think I've seen him come out of the beginning of the year and look as good as he is at the minute. I mean, he, he's a bit of a slow burner, Alex Marquez. He he gets up to the mark in a steady kind of way, but he's jumped on this bike and it's like it suits me. And I I, I cannot tell you how good that feels. I mean, anybody your 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 road car, your home car, you get in a car sometimes and you think, wow, this fits good with me everything everything's where i want it to be it breaks it accelerates it corners nicely and all the rest of it and that's like it with a racing motorbike you get on it when it's it's in its you know run what you brung mode it's out, out of the crate brand spanking new never been on it before and you get on it and think oh this works for me pushes a little bit of the front hangs out a little bit of the back accelerates out it is such a great feeling you know to, to jump on a motorbike that does what you expected to do as soon as you get on it and you go fast straight away because your confidence level leaps, you know, several several segments to where you normally would be at that time of the year. So Alex Marquez could be pretty interesting this year. And he was ahead of Mark, wasn't he? And it was quite funny. He was asked about that and he went, I've got the keys to our flat in my bag. I better get home first because I think he might lock me out. And, uh, <laughs> now, what, what, what do they say? The best jokes are sort of based on reality a bit. So, I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, what a contrast, though, you know, talking about all the different bikes that Mark's got. And he, and he was saying, you know, he was trying all this stuff because it's what the engineers are asking for. And as you say, got Alex getting on the bike that won the World Championship last year. None of none of the new parts stuff. and But also no unexpected problems. Just gets to ride and ride. Still got to th- he's, he's, I think just breaking point is really the only thing he's working on, which is a strong point for the Ducati. So he said it's important. But yeah, you know, feeling happy, feeling great. And uh, yeah, it'll be uh, 
interesting discussions over breakfast cereal in the Marquez house, I would imagine. After this, I know it's only one test and there's still another one in Portimao before before we go racing, but the competitive order as you see it now, can can you run it down how you think it looks, the competitive order? By bike? Or? By, by, yeah, by bike. Let's do by bike. Uh, Ducati, Aprilia, Yamaha, KTM, Honda. Okay. Ooh, Honda at the back, like that. If I was going to change that slightly, I'd move the Honda in front of the KTM, but that would be uh, about I, I'd it. Move Mark, I'd move Mark in front of the KTM. But if okay, it's by that's... bike, I think... But yeah, yeah, they're very... KTM you got it out of that very well, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens now then in this little... Because it's a bit of a gap, really, isn't there, until until March, until the next test. So so what, yeah. what happens back at the the factories is it just is it ferocious work what does the riders do anything there's a massive there's a massive debrief and there's a massive data download um they look at everything now i mean it's it's that time where you start to you know you can make knee-jerk reactions knee-jerk decisions but that doesn't work it's got to be a a meticulous look through the data to see if they've missed anything while they've been on site um and there's such a lot of that to go. And, I mean, there's so many variables that, 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 that they don't know what's interfering with the data. You know, aero, how, how can you test, you know, throttle pickup and then your aero? The, the combination of things are what makes an overall motorbike do a quick lap time. And the problem is you alter one of them and you might have to alter another one to compensate for it in some way. You know, this is the thing with limited testing. You cannot get through everything you need to get through. It can be on a sheet, on a computer screen to, to try and – see where the idea where the nuances are of difference that you might be able to make at the next test but i mean when we get to portimao i mean a completely different racetrack to the one that we've just tested on and that's the other issue you know you've got you know no two racetracks are the same this year uh, one or two have got similar corners in them but but at the end of the day we're going to portimao now and it's like riding a bloody motocross track in comparison to being at at uh, sepang so the the grip levels are completely different the, the elevation changes are completely different you know, there are breaking points where you, you've, you know, are completely different. So it's, it will be interesting to see whether Ducati still have the kind of advantage that they have when we get to Portimao that they had in, in Sepang. Um, I suspect they probably will. But at the end of the day, for an engineer, for all the, and again, Pete's already said it. I mean, a lot of these engineers were, have swapped places and they've not yet settled into the, to the situation that they've got with their new bikes and the little tiny differences that they can make. Where, where, where are we going to find this advantage? Uh, Pete again has said, you know, Ken Kowalchi, you know, his mythology in the way of going about that process will be an asset. There is no doubt about it. The way that you go about it, you cannot afford to waste a second of time on the racetrack or in the garage. You've got to make everything count when you've got this limited amount of testing and then the weather comes into it. You know, Portly Mao could be red hot or it could be absolutely blowing a gale and chucking it down with rain. We're yet to find out when we get there for the test. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, uh, you know, you've got some teams that, let's say, they're going there thinking, right, we're, we're pretty much set here. But, yeah, what if they turn up on day one and it just doesn't work? You know, suddenly big alarm bells ring. The race is going to be there in, in, in just a few weeks. You, you know, things could turn on their heads still. And uh, it was interesting because some riders were saying, oh, yeah, you know, Portimao, that's, that's, that's better for testing the aero because it's so up and down and the winds and everything else. And then you had others that went, no, 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 you know, you, you know, Sepang, that's a better track for the aero. So you've got all these differences of opinion as to which track is better for testing which thing. And you've just got two two tracks of data 
and you're trying to predict what will work over an entire season on all of these different circuits in all these different conditions. So, I mean, it's so hard to do, isn't it, to make a judgment call on what you're gonna what you're gonna pick. But they're going to have to do it, especially in terms of the engine. And, and then second to that, the aero. There are like one update to the aero during the season. But the engine is done. You know, once they, they pick that, that's it. They're racing it all year. Engine is really the easy part, isn't it? Because engineering-wise, they're already out of time. You know, there's nothing they're going to be able to manufacture now within the time they've got. So the engine's the easy bit. You, you've, you've, that's what you're having. Um, you might be able to make a few you know, minor detail changes to it, but you're not going to be able to make anything massive to it. So that's done. But the aero is going to be critical. And again, it's all about velocity. You know, you've got some fast corners at Sepang where aero really will be coming into its own. When you've got the velocity of a motorcycle squidging down in the track, but when you get into sort of hairpins and tighter stuff, has hardly any effect on it. It's, it's you know, aero isn't, doesn't really count when you're going slow. Mate, I don't know whether I'd want to be a tech this year. They've got miles to do. We've got more Grand Prix than ever. We've got more races than ever. In across I don't know how many continents, it is going to be, a, you know, they're going to be hanging come halfway through the season. <laughs> that first break that they get, they're going to need. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised, just one more thing on the error. I wouldn't be surprised if someone's, if, if more than one factory is holding something back, you know, yeah. that they're pretty confident is going to work because port- the Portimao test will be too late for the others to copy, won't it, really? for the start of the season. So if they've got something that they didn't want people to see, you know, maybe they've done loads of laps on it with a test rider, some obscure circuit somewhere with no cameras, and they're thinking, you know what, we'll, we'll just save that one. There were a few teams that said, we've still got parts that we haven't, aero parts that we haven't tried yet. You'll see them at Portimao. So, well, yeah. This again is where Ducati have a massive advantage, isn't it? Because, you know, they, they can start with different riders on different aero packages. So they've got stuff that they can spread out. Uh, Give me a slap for this, Pete. I haven't read this year's rule book. Very remiss of me. Um, they're allowed one aero change again, still, aren't they, in the year? Yes, yes. So they can, they can, so that, yeah, I, I, I think that's. Yes, that, so that they, will, they will have to decide what they're going to start the season with and then one update. So, so you, you, you couldn't, let's say, gain an advantage by, by coming out with some of the Portimao test. Others could still introduce it during the season, but you're forcing them to use their one update on, on what you might have started the year with. So you might all, then already have an up, one update in your in your back pocket yourself. So you could make another step, whereas they're just catching up with you. So, yeah, Aero is going to be one to watch at Portsmouth. I think it's 11th, 12th of March. And this, again, is, is coming back to what we talked about right at the very beginning of this podcast, with Yamaha being at a disadvantage. They have no aerodynamicist in-house. They have no uh, association with a, with a Formula 1 team or the like that have got that kind of experience to make it work. I know that... On a motorbike, is completely different. Obviously, you've got a flat plane with a, with, a, with a Formula One car. But at the end of the day, aero works in a specific way. If you have aero experience, you'll be able to pretty much work out how it should affect the motorbike at whatever angle and, and so on and so forth. And this ground effect thing for me, who would have thought crash, ground effect would work on a motorbike? I mean, it's just brilliant from, saying, from my perspective. It's so brilliant. I wish they'd never, ever uh, done much it. appreciate it. Look forward to mess the whole thing up. Each and every um, week. Uh, but Yamaha are, are right at the very... We've had Honda... Um, Followed the by Suzuki, followed by Yamaha. They're going to have less bikes as well. So that's exactly right. my point. They don't Winning have. The world title. You know, whereas Does that mean it's seven, eight, KTM you know, or Aprilia this year? Spread the, the, the so. aero anyway, load over well. like, or the Cheers. testing load over. With Yamaha, they've got two bikes with two guys on. You know, is Morbidelli up to speed? You know, we're going to find that out. Quattararo obviously is, but it's going to be a situation where they can't physically get through testing that kind of stuff, and they don't have the backup that they that everyone else seems to have. Uh, back in-house, back at the factory. 
Um, so Yamaha, again, unless they get very, very lucky um, with what they choose to start the year with, they may be at disadvantage come mid-season again with, with, with that package. Oh, it's going to be good, isn't it? Can't wait for uh, for poor smell testing. And then we get underway with round one in about, it's about six weeks. So still a bit of time to, to fill. But don't worry, we'll be here every week. Um, I think we shall leave it there, gents. We'll leave it there then. Uh, I think we're all very excited for what's to come. Six weeks until race one. We've got a bit of testing, but we'll be here uh, every week. Until then, thank you for sending your questions. To be honest, the guys kind of answered them all within within all the, the chat. So uh, keep them coming in. Um, you can send them to podcast at crash.net, written, or you can voice note us your question and get it played out on air. 30 seconds, leave your name and where you come from. Keep across crash.net for all the very latest news in the meantime. And we shall be back same place, same time next week. Uh, make sure you follow us, Crash Motor GP and all the socials. Leave us a review if you can, please. Really important, especially on Apple Podcasts. And uh, we'll see you next week. But from myself, Harry Benjamin, Pete McLaren, and Keith Ewan. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.